Uh-huh. And I can uh, see your face right now. <laughs> you get you, I'm so happy you get it. I'm so happy that you get it. I have the biggest shit-eating grin right now. <laughs> go go off go off, King. King of the Shell, episode two. Episode, episode two. Two. Dos. Ni. Dos. Yeah. What other what, languages? What, what, yeah, what's another? How do we say ni. two in other? How do you say two in Klingon? Uh, wow, I actually don't know that. I, I only know that. I only know the words they say on the show. I have never do learned Klingon. Do you even trek? No. Oh my God. Uh, Welcome I know, back I know, to King of the Shell. I know Kapla. I know. Well, like, we don't know Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not quite that chilly yet. Uh, but but we're certainly getting there. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll learn Klingon for a bonus episode. We'll do yeah, we'll do maybe. that. Maybe that'll be something in a future Patreon, I guess. Yeah, something where Scott be, learns Klingon. That'd be cool. We'll do an episode entirely in Klingon. The ten dollar tier yeah. gets you uh, a private Klingon tutor. Yeah, uh, tier, <laughs> a, a tier three only fan sub gets you a private <laughs> Klingon tutor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, we'll be sure to run specials on that. Yeah, uh, but. We're, we're back uh, with episode two. We're back after our watch party. We're ready to talk about the next generation. I am excited. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm Scott. And we're coming back after a very meaty, very fun, very thought provoking vertical slice of Star Trek The Next Generation. Isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you said you're excited and you're ready. I've been ready to talk about this show <laughs> since I was 13. <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking about this show nonstop for a long time. So I, I, I think I'm, I'm really happy with the vertical slice that I delivered to you. And I think we had a good time watching it at least. So yeah. being able to debrief like this, I think is going to be good. Yeah. So uh, in the spirit of that, um, I, I guess that we should kind of recap exactly what we're doing here so um on episode one if you didn't tune into that or uh maybe you did and you forgot um depending on when you listen to it um what exactly did we do with star trek the next generation well we kind of structure this show in kind of a pair format right so last time in the first episode of the pair i shilled to you one of my favorite tv shows of all time star trek the next generation. My goal was to finally have someone who watches the show that I can talk <laughs> to this about. This is the entire premise of King of the Shill is I want you to like the things that I like. So we spent some time going over a vertical slice. We're not using this in the kind of video game industry way. We're using this in the sense of we want to give to you an easily digestible component of a thing that gives you a visual to every part of it the visual slice is uh the vertical slice rather is kind of the slice of the cake right you're you need to be able to see every component of the cake and it is a multi-tiered cake yeah it is a layered cake one might say <laughs> but yeah so we, we we did that last time in the interim we've done a watch party to watch some star trek and here today, we're going to talk about our feelings about it, and hopefully I've shilled you successfully on it. Well, we'll we'll find out. We'll see. OK, we'll see. 
let's not let's not do the big reveal quite yet. Yes. But I think that I, I think that the important thing to remember is that uh, on the first episode, um, you know, we did kind of recap. You did give me like an overview of sort of what to expect. Right. Right. And and, and sort of less less about like here are the here's what's going to happen in the episodes, but more about like this is why the events that are going to play out in these episodes are so important and what the point of those things are. And a lot of that was uh, a, a lot of sort of um, we we covered the the basis of Star Trek and what the core foundations are. Right. Like it's not just about setting a good uh, standard of reference. It's also, I think, important to get across exactly why I like the show. Right. So part of that foundation is saying like, hey, some of the things you're going to see in all these episodes, like things like character behavior, like these are all enlightened 24th century individuals. They don't have any of the petty conflicts that we have. And that's the kind of stuff I find so interesting. So having that background, too, I think is a big component of coming away with something from these shows, because otherwise you're going in. And if you're expecting this to be like. I don't know, take your pick, uh, current CBS airing show, right? There's not a lot of that. <laughs> the blacklist. Yeah, the blacklist. <laughs> There's not a lot of that, like, I'll call it edgy, even though it's not really yeah. edgy, but like edgy right. human drama. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's not what this show is about. So, yeah, I, I find it a, an, an especial appreciation, um, for the way that I used to view Star Trek before we, started walking this path together as well. Um, I came from a, a period of my childhood where like Star Trek, Star Trek was largely lost on me. Um, I, I was not, I was not in the presence of any adults that were super into it. Um, you know, like you mentioned on our previous episode that, you know, your dad was really your entry point into Star Trek in general. Um, and, you know, for me, um, you know, I didn't have my parents aren't aren't into stuff like that. And they never yeah. really were. Right. They weren't real big music heads. They weren't real big, you know, like, you know, cinephiles or whatever. Yeah. Um, so my experience with Star Trek was largely viewing it as this thing that I just like that was being gatekept from me because of my age, because I was, you know, I didn't understand it. And the things that I saw, you know, like it's one thing to look at Star Wars and you see lightsabers and these laser swords and, you know, all this cool shit happening (laughs) and blowing up. Um, And then you go and you look at Star Trek and it's like, you know, I distinctly remember the first time I saw combat with a, with a phaser. And I was like, come on. (laughs) It's a little underwhelming compared to like the Star Wars prequels flips and dips and high action sword fighting. I mean, and I can commiserate with you there, too, because I think I mentioned in our last episode that my initial impression of Star Trek, like dude time couch watching with my dad watching the original (laughs) series. I was like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Why are there no (laughs) explosions, man? What's happening? Right. So it's, it's not something that I think that like you said, I think it's actually probably more common for people to look at it and be like, yeah, I don't really see the appeal or, you know, yeah. I don't really, this isn't, doesn't seem to be marketed towards me. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the thing that sticks out out to me the most, whenever I sort of look back on that time is that 
it, it was less about the subject matter and more about how it was presented. Right. And right. I think that once and that, and I think that this is like one of the reasons why it strikes me as so timeless now having gone and watched this particular arc that you've prepared and we've kind of gone through the paces of, of, of like sort of discussing it and internalizing it a little bit, you know, I think that's why it has largely viewed as being so timeless is because they're, you know, the core foundations that the show is predicated on really are just human sort of, you know, ethos, right? They're things that people can really relate to. I mean, the, not to be, really up my own butt here not to be a real hipster but it's <laughs> it's only timeless because we haven't been good enough to get there yet you know what yeah, i mean right mm-hmm. the only thing stopping it from not being timeless is us getting over as a species our own bullshit you know what i mean it's timeless yeah. because we still but 30 years later we we've probably gotten worse in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean yeah unfortunately yeah especially in 20 like 16 to present 20 yeah. uh <laughs> maybe even 2014 to present it's been yeah right it's been a rough it's been a rough decade <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's been a rough decade we are far far from starfleet at this point oh absolutely and, and that's why we love it and that's yeah. why we go back and that's why we and that's why we view it with such admiration because it is and i think an to be quite honest with you, a very salient aspect of this is that Star Trek and the way that the characters carry themselves is aspirational, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's not It's not like, oh, that's so cool. I wish I were a Jedi and could pick things up from my with my mind and mm-hmm. throw them across the room. It's more like these people are without the shackles of the human condition yeah within society yeah and this is the thing too like you said that's that's a really good point too like there is a fantasy aspect to something like the jedi yeah right i will never be a jedi despite the guy the guy on YouTube that uploads him screaming to go Super Saiyan, right? I will never (laughs) be a Super Saiyan or a Jedi, no matter how hard I try, right? Right. But there is nothing stopping me from being every bit the person that William Riker is. Yeah. Right. Right. There's there's nothing stopping me from being that. It's just my own bullshit. Well, yeah, and it's an interesting sort of counter to the modern... um, tip of the spear hero that you're yeah. used to that is now more prevalent than it's ever been in absolutely in fiction and storytelling right where it's this you know chosen one sort of yeah it, idea well, i you see it in a lot of different cultures too like I, i've told you so i'm a huge weeb uh podcast <laughs> reveal uh there's a really it's really prevalent in like anime and stuff now this mm. isekai genre going to another world and getting like immensely powerful there's the 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 resurgence not that it's ever really been gone of the power fantasy story right right i, th- I think is kind of reflective of the times too of a lot of people feel this ennui this helplessness right there's um 
there's a rise of depression, all this kind of stuff. So people flock to these kinds of stories and they like to self insert. It's like, yeah, I'm the chosen one. You know what I mean? Like I, I have all the power I'm in control as opposed to this more romantic ideal. It's actually, I think kind of similar in a way to the old pulp stories of like, um, like the old ones, uh, you know, the league of extraordinary gentlemen, you remember that? Oh Yeah. Do you, it's the you movie remember? that ended Sean Connery's career. Yes. <laughs> well, a lot of things ended Sean Connery's uh, career, but yeah. the character Sean Connery plays is based on like a series of pulp novels of like just this English guy that's like this alpha male and uh-huh. he went to the dark continent and had these crazy adventures. Yeah. And there's some power fantasy in there, but it's more this idea of like grounded exploration. Yeah, he's the pinnacle of humanity in a lot of sense, right. but he's a guy. Right. He's going on this dangerous expedition. It's not that there's no threat that can possibly stand up to him. That that kind of romantic ideal. Right. Right. And I think that, you know, more than anything, I've noticed that it's something that is more prevalent when you look back on the the episodes and when you look back on actually watching them, it's it's less it's less obvious up front. And, you know, you might you might look at something that Picard does or you might look at something that Riker or or, you know, uh, like Jordy does or something um, as, you know, profound or very, you know, uh, I, I don't know what word to use for it, just very impactful in the moment. But it's really, really interesting to me because when I look back on those episodes and when I think about it and I'm really trying to sort of internalize it, that's when these sort of core values and these more aspirational aspects of these characters become prevalent because they are so those those aspects and those those um you know uh points of those characters are so so relatable from that perspective um because it's not you know I want to be the one to pull the sword from the stone or you know I want to be the one to you know to, I want Darth Vader to be my dad in right. secret you know yeah. what I mean um, it is so much more relatable. And I think that just I think that really lends to the way that it's treated even today. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it's interesting to me, too, because, I mean, it was obviously very popular at the time. Um, yeah. The movies were made. Um, books were made. They made two TV shows off the back of it. Rest in peace. Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> they, they were like, hey, this is making money. We got to cash in on this while we can. So it was obviously very popular. But yeah. it, it, it has always been very striking to me that there hasn't been, as far as I know, many shows that have aspired to the same kind of writing and the same kind of approach. Like, mm. are there I can't even think of many CBS science fiction shows, period. Right. Yeah, there's not many. We have New Trek, which is not Star Trek. It is it is really gross (laughs) Star Wars. Like it's really Mm -hmm. perverse Star Wars. And (laughs) we'll we'll complain about New Trek some other time on like some Uh other show. I I can rant about that for about 10 hours. But um, it's just it's interesting to me because like you said, there's these kind of triumphant moments packed in this really it's not like, again, I don't want to sound like I'm so up my own butt, but like just these subtle (laughs) moments, like the fact Mm. that Riker, small jump ahead spoiler here, Riker does not take 
the insubordination of this particular character overly seriously. He's right. he reacts within the bounds of his station. No, you go through me because I'm your commanding officer. He's not like out for vengeance. He doesn't treat her differently. He respects her. He gives her the post that she has earned right, right. in the moment. That's that's great character stuff, but you don't really see that kind of stuff. And I've always I've always wondered. I'm sure I could dig up some kind of internal explanations, but like, why wasn't there more of this? So with that said, um, let's recap the arc. Um, yeah. So what episodes did you serve me? Well, I served you up an arc because I thought that that would be a good hook, right? The Star Trek. And it's not just the arc. No, it's not just the arc. Uh, so I served you up an arc because I thought that would be a good hook because Star Trek is very much a character show, right? At least in my opinion, right. mm -hmm. I think it's a character show yes. and showing you some of the most triumphant parts of a particular main character's arc, I think would serve to illustrate like not only some of the, the arc happens to have some of the best episodes the show has to offer, but sure. it, it would show you the kind of places it'll take a character over the course of its runtime, right? Over the mm -hmm. course of its seven seasons. Well, I even, uh, I was discussing this arc as I was, as, uh, I was, you know, sort of going over my notes and, and, you know, uh, really doing a little bit of a deep think on, yeah. on the, the show, the episodes that we watched. And a really good friend of mine, Brandon is a, uh, huge Trek fan. Oh, and, um, we, and like specifically, the, the next generation um not the brandon that you know different brandon oh, okay but uh but he's specifically huge into the next generation and uh i i told him that i was watching all these episodes and told him what we were doing and everything and he, when i mentioned the episode names of the arc yeah he cut me off and he was like oh so all the good shit yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah uh i thought it was important too i mean let's be realistic you don't want to yeah. sell someone with all the shit absolutely uh, i star trek the next generation is not a perfect show there's plenty of episodes i hate mainly centered on seasons one two and a little bit of seven so mm -hmm. um the, yeah i mean i i just thought that that would be a good place to be like this this is what the show can be yeah right yeah but i also well, didn't go ahead well i was just gonna say too you know to your point you know, it's a, it is king of the shill. Yes. <laughs> not king the, of the, the shit. Go, the goal is to make you like the thing, not yeah. hate mm -hmm. the thing. Right? right. I want someone to right. talk to you about Star Trek, damn it. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the other thing is I didn't want to give you the impression that the show would be like this, right? It is not, this is not a 2010s era Netflix original where the show is, strictly like a defined narrative over the course of like a six or seven or 12, whatever episode season. Right. Right. This is a syndicated weekly TV show. There's a lot of monster of the week stuff, right? Problem of the week right. stuff. So right. I wanted to give you a taste of some of the directionality of those type of episodes too. So I chose sure. two episodes that I thought met that criteria and all in all, our episode list with that in mind came out to the arc which I call the Picard and Borg arc, right? Because there's mm -hmm. more to Picard than the Borg, and there's sure. more to the Borg than Picard. Yeah, but we have. But this is how this is how they mainly intersect, right? Coincidentally, having some of the best episodes of the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, right. Q Who, which is a season two episode that introduces the Borg, 
and their threat. The two-part episode, the cliffhanger of season three, going into season four, the best of both worlds. Family, the immediate follow-up episode to the best of both worlds, season four, episode two, which deals with Mm -hmm. the immediate aftermath. Jumping ahead a long time in the future, one of the last episodes of season five, I Borg, Mm -hmm. after some time has passed. This forms the Picard and Borg arc. There's even more after the fact of Picard interacting with the Borg and vice versa. But I liked this presentation because my my thesis with this arc was look at how Picard was, how this interact, how this series of events has changed him. Yeah. Right. His mm-hmm. character changes as a result of forces on the show. All right. And then for our standalones, I picked one of my favorite episodes, one of the driest and most boring episodes, but (laughs) most profound. I picked The Measure of a Man, Mm -hmm. one of everyone's favorites, right? Yep. And I also picked, because I I thought we would share this in common where we both really like horror stuff, right? Yes, right. I thought that I I have always really liked season four, uh, Night Terrors, which is uh, the show getting a little bit spooky. And mm-hmm. I thought so I've always thought some of the visuals in this episode are really well done. Yeah. And I, I thought that was kind of a good thing, too, of like, see, this show, when it gets experimental, can still be like really interesting. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was our that was our palette. Right. That's that's the palette. That's yeah. that, that's what's on the menu. Um, I, I believe that we began when we began our watch party, we began with the hors d'oeuvres of Measure of a Man. Yes. And after that, we moved on into the Picard Borg arc. And then we I, I I finished it up with Night Terrors on my own. Yes. Um, After after we were finished with Measure of a Man in the arc. And so I think now would probably be a good time. If you are just tuning into this and uh, want to kind of follow along and play along with us, now would be a good time if you haven't watched these episodes and you care about having them spoiled to jump off, go watch them and come back. Um, You could also jump off, listen to the first episode, go watch them and come back. Um, Or if you've seen them already or if you don't care, now's where we're going to start getting into the meat of it. Yeah, it's also worth noting. I love your comments. Please let me know how you feel about my thoughts. Don't send me corrections. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care at all. If you say, well, actually, Data was sitting to the right of Picard, not his left. I don't care. Are there corrections to be made? I'm sure there will be. I will make plenty of mistakes here. But uh, so, yeah, let's start with the measure of a man, because I think that was also the most in-depth. So actually, you know what? Quick segue. Let's talk briefly mm-hmm. about our watch party and what we did. Yeah. So we just did a Discord stream and watched uh, all these episodes. Well, not all. We watched the episodes on Netflix together. Yep. Right. And at key moments, especially in The Measure of a Man, to, to yes. a lesser extent in some of the Borg episodes, I would pause and try and give context, not only for what is happening, right? Not beyond just like, oh, well, this guy is this, right? But like, <laughs> think think about this, right? Within right. this universe, think about how weird it is that this person behaves this way, right? And 
context is important like that, you know, especially for the goal of what we're trying to do here. Um, you know, when you're watching this as you're watching it serially, um, you've come up to these episodes with. Yeah. A basis of, of knowledge coming in. So while this does serve to, to act as like, you know, you too can get into Star Trek if you watch this, um, you know, we want to make it clear that we didn't just watch the episodes, not talk the entire time. Oh, and yeah, then, yeah. You know, so the, the, the premise was to have a watch party in the same way yes. you would have friends over to watch a movie or something. Right. right. So, yeah. But it, it was just kind of along the lines of like, OK, your brain is not soaked in the Star Trek chemicals yet. Right. This person is being an asshole. Now, consider it is very weird to be an asshole in the 24th century. You know what I mean? Like sure. if you're coming, if you, the first episode of this sh- of this show that you watch was The Measure of a Man, right? And you just finished watching Breaking Bad. It's not going to seem like our main antagonist is really all that bizarre. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you have to think about it within the context of Star Trek. This guy is like the worst. strings have been cut. Yes, exactly. So. Uh, so. Yeah. I. I want to talk about Measure of a Man. Okay. I loved this episode. Oh, I'm glad. I loved this episode. I specifically want to talk about William Riker. Yes. Riker, to me, is the most compelling character in the show. He is my favorite. Wow. Okay. He, He is my favorite. I... I have a very, very, um, I have an affinity for characters like him. I like these more sort of reserved cocksure, you know, like you can tell that you can tell that he's, he's got like a a bit of a fire in him. That's a little bit different than Picard, but I always, I always, I always love how he sort of, uses that to his advantage to retain his decorum. Right. And this is such a good episode at showing that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of little subtle character ticks in this one, even with Data, right? Um, So really quickly, I think we talked about this in the first episode, but to let people know what we're talking about, Measure of a Man, in an extremely brief summary, it's an episode wherein Commander Data, who is an android in Starfleet, is approached by a basically a, a Starfleet scientist, Commander Bruce Maddox, that wants to take him apart and study him. The episode fo- uh, focuses around Picard and uh, uh, Riker having to go against each other in court through basically a series of contrivances, but they have to go against each other in Starfleet court to prove that Data has rights and does not have to submit himself for disassembly. The crux of the episode why everybody really likes it it ends in a big picard speech where thanks to the help of Whoopi goldberg as guinan picard realizes as he often does that the issue is much greater than the needs of a single individual person it's really an issue about slavery about creating a servient uh subservient android race and he gives this great speech about how they can't discriminate with forms of life and there's a happy ending and everything returns to normal 
Now, let's dive in, right, on this Riker angle, because you are the first person. Well, granted, I have not interacted with many people <laughs> in terms of Star Trek, but you are the first person who has ever told me that William Riker is your favorite character. I love him. I uh, and I think that it is I think that it's really just down to the the styles of characters that I usually really like get into and sink my teeth into, you know, um, I recognize, obviously, you know, why Data would be your favorite character. Data's great. Um, I, you know, obviously Picard, you know, if it, if it weren't for my insistence on making sure that I choose somebody that is legitimately my favorite character, yeah. you know what I mean? It would be Picard. I mean, like, you know, Picard is incredible. Yeah. But this episode in particular, I think, touches on a very real uh a very real social anxiety for people mm -hmm. which is when i have to do something that i don't want to do and i know that it might hurt people yeah how do i carry myself and that is a different question asked in the star trek universe than it is in the real world oh, absolutely uh so to give a little bit of context, again, if you haven't gone and watched the episode, I don't know why you're here, but thanks for staying. <laughs> because, uh, Riker is basically forced to prosecute the case, to try and argue the case that Data does not have rights and is not sentient. And he begins yeah. by very vehemently refusing this. He says, I, I don't believe this to be true. Data is my friend. I cannot and will not do this. And through the driving of the plot, he is ultimately forced to do it. And what the episode does a great job showing, and this this would be my Riker thesis, right? Uh, the Riker thesis of the episode is that Riker is a man in conflict. Yes. Right. Riker is, as you said, he's very cocksure and self-assured and he's earned it. Right. Yeah, he's he's absolutely. an ace. He's mm -hmm. he, he's the first he's the first officer. He's the, the second in command of the flagship. Well, that's Starfleet. that's. That's one of the things that that I really picked up on that I that I love so much about the next generation is that the characters have flaws. Yeah. But they are not the pitfalls of their own selves. Exactly. Right? They don't turn into these things that end up sinking their characters into these depressing arcs where you're like the reasons that I love this character are being completely ripped out from under me. Yeah. And that's sort of what I, at least what I think of whenever we talk about edgy storytelling. Oh yeah. And the, the great thing is that like Riker, like it, the show does not allow any character to dwell on their failings in that kind of sense. Like you just said, either, either through the own care, the characters uh, actions themselves, like getting over it or mm -hmm. other characters, like taking that enlightened step. And like when Riker is kind of pouting, right. And it's not even, it's not like because he lost or anything like that. He's like, man, I can't believe I did that. Right. Right. Data comes in and he's like, no, you did the right thing. You did the hard thing. That's a yeah, great end cap. Go ahead. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the episode, obviously, you know, they're not going to they're not gonna, they're, yeah, they're, like, they're not going to disassemble data. And go yeah, to credits, right. Like yeah. we kind of talked about in the, in the first episode, they're not going to obviously this being as early in the series as it is, everything ends up OK. But, you know, it's a really it's a really cool take on 
the duty question yeah and the duty dilemma for a fictional character and for what and you know what it's usually like to interact with that um that's that that kind of angle for uh the viewer or reader or whatever yeah you know it's more it's it's always like this this moment of heroism usually yeah. right mm -hmm. it in 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 the scope of good guys it's it's 99% of the time delivered with a uh, uh, like a panache of, of of heroism a little flavor of heroism when it's on the other side it's always sort of presented as this sort of like uh like uh centrist view on what it means to um ascribe to a cause you know yeah. like think about like like a uh like a a terrorist i'm thinking about like the expanse right now and like yeah you know some of the some of the splinter belters that are out there that are like we're gonna we're gonna go suicide bomb these ships you know what i mean something like that where it's like even though their cause is not inherently good there is this angle of it's my duty to yeah. my people to mm -hmm. my cause this to me is such a an interesting take on that because it's built on the foundations of star trek which in and of themselves as we've discussed at length are different than most everything else but it, it is also this um you don't get the sense that Riker is feeling as though he is a hero you yes. also do not get the sense that Riker is feeling as though you know, he's doing this because it is his duty, even yeah. though that's why he did it. Yeah. You can just like the well, way that he, the way that he presents it is, I think a really unique take on yeah. that. Well, kind of this overarching thesis of this episode is like you said, the duty question, but it's more what uh, faith in the system. Right. So yeah, it's worth noting that, Picard doesn't just scoop up data and hightail it. Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. Picard, I think, he even says in the episode, like, we have these laws for a reason. And he tells his judge friend, like, I expect you to prosecute, to judge this with the same zeal you had when you prosecuted me for losing my ship. Right. That's right. They have this yep. strained relationship over this. Like she went way above and beyond and was even punished for it. In and this prosecuting. is yeah, this is very like the these are very prickly moments between the yes. two of them, too. Like, yeah, is prick is prickly as it gets in Star Trek. Well, you could you could imagine it would be I've a noticed. sore spot to lose a command. Yeah. Right? And right. to be needled with it over someone that you had a romantic relationship with. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they, you, they have some tension between them. But to t then you take that thesis down a level. Right. Faith in the system. Every character has a learning moment in this episode. Thanks to data. This is why I like data, despite the fact yeah. that he's like the fish out of water. Cliche character. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. The judge has a learning moment where she learns that, like, despite her faith in the system. Right. Despite her rigidity, sometimes it is the spirit of the law. That is more important than the letter of the law. Picard has this this he has several weak moments, but he has a moment where he's like, Data, why don't you just submit to the system? And Data yeah. has to tell him, like, well, why don't you just improve your eyes, man? Oh, it's because right. I'm not human. <laughs> I understand. You know what I mean? Data, Riker, Data the 24th century hippie. <laughs> yeah. Riker has the moment where he's found the dirt. He's found the off switch on Data and he has this triumphant moment. Yeah, I'm good at my job. Oh, <laughs> 
I love it. I, yeah. I love those moments where he's just like, he gets that look on his face. I, I, if memory serves, it's like it, he's either in his quarters or he's in like this meeting room and he's looking at data's schematics and he yeah. finds his off switch and he just gets this like grin. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then, but, but this is the best part, right? He gets this grin and then seconds later, the grin turns into a look of anxiety and worry. Yeah. Because it's, I've, I'm good. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. You know, I'm good. And this is a problem. Yeah. Yes. Right. Because I mean, he's he, he is compelled not only by the court, but by his character to do his best. Right. Yeah. Even when that best is working actively against his own interest, which is right. data is his friend and he mm-hmm. doesn't want to do this. So, yes, I mean, Bruce Maddox obviously has his learning moment, but it's it's more this idea, right, of like faith in the system. Like, uh, well, data is property in my eyes. And so he belongs to me. Mm-hmm. Right. I can do this. He's not, he's not malicious in that right. kind of sense. He's just extremely ignorant. He's, he's right. violently ignorant. Right. It he almost not almost. He definitely he really strikes me as the I don't want to say foil because that's not the right word. But Mannix in that episode really uh, came across to me as as being propped up as like the uh, almost the the opposite side of what Riker is, is how he's internalizing. that. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, it's um. Riker is doing his duty because he must do it. Maddox is weighed he's down. He's indulging by it. The indulging, yeah. He's he's weighed down by his personal goals, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, I, I don't think we should dwell on measure of a man too no. long because there's more to get to. But I, I also just love kind of the ethos of Star Trek, right? This this end cap, the the yes. way that everything resolves itself. Not even, even though it's a great speech, mm-hmm. not even the Picard speech, but Bruce Maddox in any other TV show would have to be dragged out of the courtroom, kicking mm-hmm. and screaming. I even said yep. this to you, right? This yeah. whole episode, I, I paused every time in the episode he did this. He refused to make eye contact with Data. He called it an it. He treated it like it was property because that's what he believed, right? Right. By the end of the episode, he's not drug out of the courtroom, kicking and screaming. He's not crying and saying why i didn't get my way he (laughs) realizes he was wrong and he makes a change he even says i've come to respect he's referring to data him he's magnificent right right he he isn't he is still despite his violent ignorance right Mm -hmm. he is still a 24th century person He's he's a he's from the Daystrom Institute. He's a scientist, right? He's a, yeah. he's enlightened for enlightened people. He yeah. just had to be shown that he was wrong. Yeah. And and to your point at the end of the episode, too, you know, again, there isn't this moment with Riker and Data of, you know, tension or, uh, you know, bad blood or anything like that, even though. I mean, there should be. Yeah. <laughs> let's be honest like you know it's 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 the it's 21st century and we think there should be yeah because for us even if if that if if that was our situation even though i knew you were forced to do it things would be weird between the two of us after that fact Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so but yeah continue because the the riker moment is excellent 
Yeah. And and it's this moment where, you know, Riker's really dwelling on his actions and he's not he's not having this outburst. He's not, um, you know, going crazy, like punching, punching, the punching the door, or punching yeah. the table or, but, ah, you know, things are my my emotions are just all sorts of colors. Um, you know, he is just lost in contemplative thought and he is feeling undeserving. I mean, this guy that is, to your point, the first officer of the flagship ship. Yeah, right. <laughs> is feeling as though he has broken an oath that is above his oath to Starfleet. Right. Which is massive. If there's anything that I've taken from the Star Trek that I've watched mm-hmm. um, as a result of this podcast, it is that the uh, I'm kind of getting like ramped up thinking about it, but <laughs> the, it is the it is this uh, through line of people in Starfleet cannot explain why it is so important to them, but it is. Yeah, and for them to hold anything above their duty to Starfleet and to the United Federation of Planets, especially the first officer of the flagship ship, I'm going to say it again, is massive. Yeah. And I think that the weight that that scene carries when he turns around and Data calms him and just reassures him, you're just doing your duty. We are still friends. Yeah. Is, well, it's Star Trek. (laughs) It's it's Star Trek. And I think it's also the way he says it too, which is like, he doesn't even see it that Riker has wronged him. He almost right. sees it as if he's wronged Riker. You had to do something that was painful for you, for mm-hmm. me. If you right. didn't do your job, they would have ruled summarily against me and I would have been disassembled. Right. Right. I view mm-hmm. this as you sacrificing yourself for me. Right. And right. The, they have the the TV ending moment. Well, you're such a great man, Data. No, sir. But with your help, I will be. But yeah. like the kind of cheesy moment. But that that just that conversation of like, not not only do I forgive you, there was nothing to be forgiven. You right. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and this is this is a, a one of those aspirational moments, you know, because yeah. you know for 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 people for people in the in the twentieth and the twenty first century, real people. Um, l- listen, it, it ain't easy being, being a person. It's not easy no. being alive, right? People deal with a lot of shit. And this is one of those aspirational moments of, you can say that, yeah, they had to wrap it up quickly because obviously, you know, they got to cut for TV time and like, they can't go, they can't overextend this sort of one-off episode into multi multiple parts or whatever. Right. But still it is this moment of, of, of human aspiration. That's like, it just feels good. And when you think back on it and you think about what you're used to seeing on television and in films and all this misery porn that we love today, and don't get me wrong, I love misery porn, but all this shit that we love to to indulge today, and it's just this very pure, very again, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna belay the word, but it's 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 just an aspirational way of writing these characters but i think aspirational is really keen right i think that's what it is and that's that's something that's missing like when i say why isn't there more of this really what i'm talking about is being aspirational it's not just 
hey, aren't things terrible? Yeah, everybody knows things are terrible. You're not that creative. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? We've we've invented every conceivable end world scenario imaginable at this point in fiction. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're really not that creative. What really strikes me is if you take that effort to look a step beyond and say, well, what if everything wasn't terrible? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? What if right. we got our shit together? That's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It, because it it presents problems that, um, like the problems themselves that they encounter in this show aren't always like by themselves relatable. But it is the way that they encounter them, the way that they interact with them, the way that they drive the interaction between the characters. Those are the things that you can really latch onto about the show and what uh, really push the 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 ethos of of what it what it is about and what it is right so measure of a man was easily easily the best launch point for me i don't know if i could have and granted i haven't seen all of the next generation but i don't know of the things that you told me and what i the expectations that i had going into this watch party measure of a man just about hit every single one of them. Well, I'm glad because like, I mean, I said this, I think in our intro episode, like, I think I know you pretty well mm-hmm. and I definitely know Star Trek really well. And I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking in my head because like, obviously Measure of a Man is a really popular episode, but I'm like, yeah, I think if, I, if I'm going to put someone onto this like Chris and like, I, I want you to under, I don't want you to just be like, yeah, Star Trek's cool. Like, I like listening to the science stuff. I want you to be at this level of like, no, this subtlety is great. The, I yeah. love this Riker moment, right? Where he's like, oh man, I'm good at my job and this is terrible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, that. this was the episode. I was like, this is going to be the one where he gets it. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you weren't wrong. Um, and... I, I really I really love that episode. I've, I've I've talked to my wife about it a couple times already, just sort of going back and like internalizing it and everything and thinking about like, you know, why did I like this? And every reason that I liked it was every reason that you told me that I would. Yeah. So like even it, it might be easy to point to that and say, well, you know, I had a guideline and that is somewhat true. However, you know, like. I I would not pick this episode for, you know, my brother, I would not pick this episode for somebody like my brother, right? Somebody right. that's not really into the idea of I want to sit down and I want to I want to empathize yeah, and I want to internalize what it's like to be with this character. Right. Um, you know, this was definitely uh, the 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 best first step for me, I think. And. It definitely prepared me. Yeah. To be unprepared <laughs> for the Picard Borg arc. This was my conception for the the big cell, right? The vertical slice, because yes. Star Trek is not just one off episodes. There are overarching storylines, some good, some bad, some really bad. But the show does get really aspirational with the macro scale changes in its characters, right? Especially right. its main characters, especially Jean-Luc Picard. So Jean-Luc mm-hmm. Picard, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is Jean-Luc Picard. He is Professor X. He's, I mean, if, if you don't know him, look him up. I yeah, guarantee uh-huh. you've seen his face, right? Mm. He is the face of this show. He is 
give me your impression of Captain. Pa- you know what? Let's start it this way. Give me your impression of Captain Picard coming in, right? Not having watched Star Trek. And we'll talk about at the end how it's changed. I was ready for. Um, I, I knew that it wasn't going to be Captain Kirk, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think you can look at Jean-Luc Picard after knowing who and what Captain Kirk is and expect a Captain Kirk-esque character. Um, He doesn't have the look. Um, Patrick Stewart in and of himself certainly doesn't carry him as somebody that would have that attitude, right? Right. So I never expected your Captain Kirk's type character. I was not expecting the type of character that I got. Um, You know, I think if there was any expectation that I had before watching, it was definitely of this very, um, it's the word I'm looking for. I'm going to take from mass effect a little bit. He struck, he struck me as like a paragon, right? Like somebody that people looked to constantly as like, like a leader, right? Somebody that was Starfleet and, He was going to be the one to be the backbone of the ship. And don't get me wrong. He is all of those things. But I think in this arc uh, specifically really shows why he is so much more. Yeah, because he I mean, he is ultimately a man, right? Yes. And he's a very he's a very unique kind of man, but he's a man and he has his own limitations. But I want to say that. Of my favorite aspects of the character of Jean-Luc Picard, it is his love of ultra deep V-necks because <laughs> this man has got oh, a yeah. torso. Well, Whoa. <laughs> I, he, dude, over the course of this show, they show more of Patrick Stewart than oh. you, would, you would ever be prepared to see. <laughs> Let me tell I you. Was like, I was like, well, like, they, here's the thing, right? Like, it reminded me so much of my grandfather because... You know, like those types of like, you know, I'm going to show my chest hair. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, because it's it's exactly that. Like, that's a great uh, analogy because it's like it's this like self-assured is not the word, but it's just like old man don't care. You know what I mean? I mean, he's got he does have an underlying because, you know, emotions in Star Trek, especially sexuality in Star Trek, from what I've gathered uh, of what I've seen is not represented in this overt way or even in or in an ornate way where they dress it up and, you know, provide special attention to it. But I think there is something to be said about when you see that type of look on Picard where he's like, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and show my muscly forearms. I'm going to wear these ridiculously deep yeah. V-necks and show yeah. my pecs and my chest hair. Yeah. You do get that like impression of like, okay, these people aren't just robots. Yeah. You know? Well, listen, as you, as you watch more Star Trek, should you choose to do so, you'll find that they do play up the sexual, like TOS is that TOS okay. is like a horny, like boys club a lot of the time. Right. Okay. Um, the TNG, I'll just say the smutty romance novel episode. Oh, you know, the one 
the one the ones the books that have like uh what's his name fabio on the cover oh yeah right? yeah, 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 yeah they yeah. have an episode that is like that oh okay yeah. okay so, all right well we'll say the purposes of this arc at yeah. least but i i get <laughs> i know what you're getting at yeah so yeah q who right uh, so the, yes. the arc is q who introducing the borg not like a critical component but just to like understand where we're coming from yeah right uh then on to the best of both worlds parts yep. one and two and talking about that like the fact that there was a cliffhanger for like several months and yeah. what you had to think about during that cliffhanger time right yeah the immediate aftermath in family and then i borg after some time has passed what has changed about picard right so in q who i really wanted to show you more than anything uh where the borg came from and immediately established the power scale right because right. largely to that point now this is one of those things where people are like oh I'm actually right but largely to that point there aren't challenges that the federation cannot conquer that right. specifically the enterprise cannot conquer right yeah mm -hmm. this is the like i think he called it the pale blue dot moment right this is yeah. the like oh man we're really not as hot shit as we think we are right mm -hmm. it's a right. it's a it's it's a a reality check for them yeah so there's there's not a lot to really discuss here in the arc but i wanted to get your thoughts specifically on post jump all right, so the premise of this episode, Q, Q is this omnipotent kind of godlike being that takes a special interest in the Enterprise and Picard in particular, and he sticks around throughout the series as a kind of a secondary character, right? He's always in the background. He's kind of a trickster. He wants to join the Enterprise mainly because he's bored, right? And Picard says, no, we all hate you, Q. Please go die. You're annoying. You ruin everything. Go away. That is too basically what he says in no yeah. such words. He's like Picard des decidedly does not want Q around. He gives he gives a godlike being the silent treatment. Yeah. <laughs> which tells you a lot about Picard, right? right. And Starfleet right. in general. But anyway. Yeah. Uh so he Q starts to present his argument as well you need me the galaxy is a vast and dangerous place and my powers could come in handy mm -hmm. and picard makes the mistake of being arrogant and he says because he is being arrogant and he says we're ready humanity is ready the federation is ready we can take anything you throw at us mm -hmm. consider the scale of that statement it right? is it is one of the things that i think too when i say that you know Picard was all of the things that I expected but he was so much more because abject arrogance is yeah. not something that I expected out of him because mm -hmm. like following the narrative of Starfleet right like it would be like oh well like I respectfully decline like well the part of the exploration is it but no he's like no we can do anything screw yep. you go away. right 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 so and I think that it I think that that just kind of shows you too. it kind of goes to deep in like uh, what your perception of how Picard views Q is, you know, like he is so uninterested in Q and finds him yeah. so annoying. Yes. That he is not even remaining cognizant that his decorum just melts away when he's around him. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
so let's talk a little bit. I want to get your thoughts about post jump mm-hmm. and what they do, right? Because so basically Q snaps his fingers and sends the Enterprise thousands of light years away to another quadrant of the galaxy that they've never been before. Right. Right. And Picard's immediate thought after this was, well, first of all, he talks to Guinan because Guinan's for, supposedly from this quadrant. Right. Guinan's like, go home, go home yep. as soon as possible. Leave. Run. Yep. She she warns. Yeah. And Picard's like his immediate thought ever. The Explorer is. We've never been this far before. We have to look around. Yeah, it's his duty. Right. It's also his interest, which you'll yeah, you'll sure. you'll you'll come to understand that, too, where Picard is kind of the Renaissance man in the truest mm-hmm. sense where like he has a love of exploration and he was born in the correct time. Right. He can sail the seas, so to speak, and find new places. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so they go and explore. And lo and behold, they find that there are evidences of civilizations that have been literally like ripped from the earth. And this is something that they've seen in some of their own outposts along some of the borders of their quadrant. Right. And they weren't sure if it was the Klingons or the Romulans or whatever. These are these known these known factors, these known antagonists. Well, they've come to find out a a literal cube in space. It just looks like a, a collection of pipes and doodads starts like slowly drifting towards them. They discovered the Borg. Tell me about the Borg, Chris, and your impression of them after this. Um, I think the most interesting aspect of them, and I know that you have told me that, unfortunately, this does not remain a thing of the Borg. But the most interesting aspect about them to me is that it's hard to identify like who to villainize here. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. um, because it's it is such less about this existential threat of we've got this Thanos S character. That's just like, I'm just going to, I, I just, I'm just going to kill. Right. This is like when, when an enemy is programmed to do something and when it's, when it's, when there is no morality involved, it becomes a different conversation. Right. For me. And I think that's, that's really what the board does here. Well, that, that was definitely their intention, too. And later on, they make some changes, which I, I think are they're not they're not good. But yeah, their, their original intention was to create this enemy that's basically faceless. Right. There is no individual. There's no at the time. Spoiler alert. One does appear, but there's no Borg queen. Right. There's mm-hmm. no face that they can latch on to. Like, this is the enemy. It's like this is no this is just it's aggressive expansion of community. Like, in a sense, it, it is basically like aggressive communism. Sure. Now, uh, but um, Gene Roddenberry, obviously, was a very left leaning person. I don't know if you could tell by the subject matter <laughs> of the show. So yeah. it's not what it is. Right. But like, right, it, right, right. you know what I mean? It evokes that same kind of imagery of like, yeah, sure. you can't stop us. We're going to strip your free will, all that kind right. of stuff. Right. And it's also worth noting, we learn in other episodes, in iBorg in particular, the Borg themselves cannot comprehend why people would want to resist after being assimilated. Yeah. And, and, and that's another aspect that I really like about it is that, um, it, that there's more to juggle there, uh, mentally, uh, because they sort of become almost as 
it's it's kind of like thinking about it this way, right? Like if you're gonna die, it it becomes as like like natural almost as like a heart attack or like some yeah. kind of natural disaster where it's just like this isn't the malevolence or the decision making of this evil being. This is just here are here is this race of beings that are programmed to do this. There is no morality behind it. And yeah. they're coming. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about this, too, because this episode starts to reveal this about them. And it's really compounded in the later episodes. But they are the anti-Federation, right? Mm. They have superior technology. They are unceasing and uncompromising. They cannot be negotiated with. And most importantly, you just started to touch upon this, right? They are they are the anti-prime directive. So the prime directive of the Federation is the, the number one rule. Don't interfere with other cultures. Right. Right. They're anti-imperialists, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. The Borg aren't even imperialist. They're, they go beyond the Klingons, beyond the Romulans. They are the full end of the 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 order scale. Right. I don't care. You will become us. We will assimilate you. Take your best traits. Make it part of our culture. They even say we will assimilate your culture or something to that. Right. And even in I Borg, you know, yeah. there is there is a moment in I Borg where. Hugh, the Borg that they've got on the ship, um, begins to question, you don't want to be assimilated? Yeah. Why Why would you not want to be assimilated? Mm-hmm. This is the natural order of things. Yes. We, we see you, you become us. Yeah. And it's so much better becoming us. Hugh even says, like, don't you get lonely not having every other voice in the collective in your head all the time? <laughs> right. right. This right. is his new normal. So. Right. Yeah. I, I just think it, I think it's interesting. And I mean, like, like I said, there's not a whole lot to talk about with Q who. So I think we should move on. But it, it's also just like, again, not having seen a lot. So some of the context was lost. But did you get that feeling of like that oh shit kind of stomach dropping moment of like they're in a pinch this time. Well, definitely. Um, you know, they, you know, the show goes out of its way to present it as such. Um, but you know, I, again, it is, and I knew coming into these episodes, obviously because we've talked about it. Um, and you know, obviously because at this point in my life, I understand what star Trek is and it is not a space battle show. So for them to engage in legitimate space battle, with this Borg ship and the Borg's just like, nah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's, it's swatting flies, literally. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really it does. It does. It does uh, really push that that this yeah. is what this is. And I think that that is especially, um, you know, important going into the best of us worlds, because that is the threat that they're facing. Right. Um. It is similar to me. I felt the same. I don't want to say the same exact way, um, but it was very similar to the way that the Mass Effect games, for those that have played them, prop up the Reapers in the first right. one. Right. It is this just this is how it is. This yeah. is how it is. You have no chance of stopping this. Good luck. You yeah. know, like it is literally like the the resistance is futile because you have to understand 
that about the Borg to understand in the best of both worlds just how these characters are dealing with that when it comes knocking on their front door. Absolutely. And I guess the only other thing to say, I do like the point at the end, the kind of the like subtle end cap moment of Jean-Luc is very obviously pissed off at Q. Q sends him back. Mm-hmm. There's a great character moment with Picard. I guess this is there is one shining moment here where Picard swallows his own pride and says, you want me to say that I need you? I need I you. Need Send you. us help. Yep. And Q even compliments him like a, a lesser man would have sh- stuck to his pride. You know what I mean? But right. There's this moment where Picard is very obviously angry with Q. He's like, I understand you were trying to teach us a lesson, but I like, why did it have to cost us the lives of like, I don't know, like 30 or whatever crew members. Yeah. However many they lost. Yeah. And Q is like, you think that's as bad as it's going to get? This is a paper cut. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I I like that, too, because like when you think about Q in this cosmic scale, what is 30 humans to Q? What is the human race to Q? Well, and we've talked about this before, too, but this is also why, you know, uh, this is also why one of the one of the good things that the MCU has done is their representation of Thanos of where it's just like, you know, it, it's, you know, what 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 is what is ha- half a billion souls if it means the survival of the universe? Yes, yeah, exactly. The best of both worlds, I think, is really where uh, these individual characters start to. And and the reason that I like that this is a two part episode Mm -hmm. is because it has that effect of this narrative and this plot line is going to splinter the crew. Right. In different ways. It's not like this, you know, big moment of like, well, we're all going to go. We're so disagreeing with each other that we're just going to, you know, you know, fuck you and fuck you, too. It's like it's not like that. Right. But it splinters the crew in terms of like um, what you know, what you know about them and how, and how they've dealt with all of these crises coming forward into the Borg and uh, also splinters them um, in the way that like they need to adapt to what is happening. Yeah. Um, Riker doesn't just get promoted to captain when Picard yeah. gets taken. It's not as simple as that. Right now, he is not first officer Riker now he is dealing with this internal dilemma of I can no longer assume the role that I assumed and I can assume the role that I've wanted to assume, but not the way that I wanted to assume it. Exactly. So really quickly, again, go watch the episodes. This is the best of both worlds, part one and two. At the end of season three, the Borg are back. The Enterprise gets sent out to investigate a colony that's gone dark and they've been ripped from the earth. The Borg have arrived sooner than expected because we knew at the end of Q-Who they were out there. And now that they knew we were here, they were going to come for us. Right. Right. So the crux of the episode is that having been the only contact with the Borg and being the flagship, the Admiralty of Starfleet is very interested in the Enterprise. Right. And their thoughts on the matter. So they transfer a new uh, I think she's just a commander. I don't think she's a lieutenant commander, but uh, they 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 assign a new girl basically to the ship that's like rising up the ranks super rapidly. Right. Yeah. And she's a, their Borg expert right now with all the data that the Enterprise sent back. She's in charge of getting everything together to plan a, a defensive strategy. Right. 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 And 
what we see immediately is that this is this is an episode about ambition, right? The best of both worlds refers to Jean-Luc Picard and it refers to William Riker, right? They are both the best of both worlds. So, well, William wants the best of both worlds. Riker, uh, sorry, uh, Picard is the best of both worlds. So right. um, this this girl is gunning for Commander Riker's job because we find out that Riker has passed up again, by the way, he has again passed up the captain's chair on another ship and while we were watching i did i did ask you like that is the first time that they ever touch on that 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 riker has passed on those on those nominations i can't remember there is an episode where his dad wants him to take command of a ship i can't remember if that's early or late but this is at least like the first time that you understand the gravity of how many times he's refused to stay on the enterprise yeah this is a big moment this is like wow he's like what the hell dude like you know i mean move on so Mm -hmm. um so riker wants the best of both worlds he loves being on the enterprise he has uh, basically a mini arc within the episode of talking to people like why am i still here right right Mm -hmm. and well, you like being on the Enterprise, but he also wants the captain's share. I mean, let's be honest. We said this about him before. He's ready for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Very clearly, he's ready for it. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is now that you mention that, the show does not ever put that into question for the viewer either. Anytime yeah. Picard mm-hmm. needs to step away from the helm of the Enterprise, he immediately puts Riker in charge, and Riker is constantly a perfectly competent replacement right and that that's part of the ethos of the episode too right Right. is Mm -hmm. there's never a question of like the chain of command or anything like that um so anyway uh at the end of the best of both worlds we find out that the borg have a plan they kidnap jean-luc picard and assimilate him into the borg collective jean-luc picard is now locutus of borg everything he knows they know and they're going to use him as their figurehead to march directly to earth and conquer the federation and they're to speak ass- to them yeah well yeah locutus is the one who speaks they they realize that they're they have they a per- deficiency in communication right right and and i think it's really interesting too that they they don't they don't make any bones about why they cho- choose picard either right because yeah. you know people listen to him yeah he's a great speaker but he's also i mean he's the man right, right. so anyway the uh Lokitas of borg begins combat with the enterprise who's been preparing kind of a secret measure Riker is now faced with a decision right he's staring down at the other end of a barrel his his captain his um, probably his his friend his mentor like that kind of thing right yeah mm-hmm. and he the series ends with Riker looking at at Lucidus and saying the words fire yep cut to blank so this there's this period of time where you're like oh my god they killed Picard Riker's gonna be the new captain what's happening right yes and I think this is such a good like way it I typically hate cliffhangers. Uh, I'm going to call out the walking dead. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) uh, You know, I, that show is trash and (laughs) went the, the Negan cliffhanger pretty much like as when I stopped watching the show. Um, So that kind of shit, I can't stand it, but this one is so good because you know, it's not that you don't, 
it, it's not that the viewer doesn't know is is Picard even alive? Is he dead? Has he been assimilated? It is the rules have changed, Star Trek yeah. viewer, and these are the new set. Yeah, and I think it really sets that expectation moving into the next episode. Yeah, and to really recap, recap that because I, I want to immediately jump into as a Riker fan, this is going to be interesting for me. I want to I want to hear your thoughts about the best of both worlds here, his best of both worlds. So, to, so to, to briefly summarize the end, so the first episode of season four, we zoom back in to make a long story short. The Enterprise is unable to damage the Borg cube because with Picard, they know their strategy, right? So the Enterprise needs to take time for repairs and the Borg ship zooms towards Earth. In the meantime, the Admiralty has formed a fleet and they're planning to stop the cube at Wolf 359. Well, in summary, we don't even see the battle, which I think is a great set piece. But uh, the we actually see it in DS9, I think. But um, okay, but uh we don't see the Battle of Wolf 359. It is a total annihilation for the Federation. Right. The Borg ship barely takes damage. I think it might not even take any damage at all. All all ships, it's like it's like some crazy number, like 16 ships and all hands, thousands of people are lost. And you have to understand this isn't Star Wars. Think about the Federation's capability actually kind of similarly to the Rebellion. The galaxy is a big fucking place. Yes. And they don't have that many ships and people. Right. right. So this is this is bad. Yes. Right. So they're on their way to the soul system. They're on their way to Earth. Uh, the, in summary, Riker comes up with a plan. He promotes the upstart young lady to his second in command, takes command of the Enterprise, has a kind of a growing moment. They come up with a plan. They kidnap Picard back under the guise of a frontal attack. And using information from Picard, they're able to kind of bring him back for a moment. They put the Borg ship to sleep. They use their ingenuity, their ability to adapt to defeat the Borg. Right. It's always the X factor with humanity. Yeah. yeah, Beating them at their own game. That's the other thing. That's the the, the great thing about being the foil of the Borg is they adapt. They adapt better than we can adapt. Right. Right. But then we the humans went through adapting. Anyway. All right. So. This, the episode ends. We focus on our two heroes, Jean-Luc Picard, forever changed, being the best of both worlds, the, the being part human and part Bork, right? Forever changed, lonely lookout over the planet, Riker in 10 forward, lamenting kind of, I mean, like, obviously he's bad, bad, happy that Picard is back, but lamenting his, um, his loss of his captain's chair. He had it all, and it's already gone, right? So... A lot of my thoughts on Riker are centered around how he encounters Commander Shelby um, throughout these two episodes. I think I pointed this out to you while we were watching them, but, um, you know, this is and I mentioned this before when Q when um, uh, 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 who was who was I saying um, what what's her name? Shelby? In in measure of a man, not no. Oh, um, um, I know who you mean. Uh, I can't remember her Philip name. Philip Yeah, yeah, yeah. The judge lady. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I said her and Picard get r- rather prickly with each other, um, and this is about as prickly as it gets. This is that for Riker for me. Right. His his relationship with Shelby, and I even called it out to you too while we were watching it, where I said something to the effect of, "It is crazy to me that this seems like Riker is like 
kind of having an outburst. Yeah, exactly. You know, so a lot of my thoughts with Riker in these episodes center around that. And I think that's really where you see. Well, at least where I saw why a lot of why I love him as much as I do is because there is this he wears his anxiety on his face. Yeah. And as he is as he is encountering um, Shelby and when he's when they're talking about um, the amount of times that he's passed up on command and, you know, why he's done that. And, you know, you can clearly see how much he really wants it. But the enterprise is just where he feels he belongs. Yeah. And what I think is so good about that is the way that they present that is uh, enough for the viewer to understand that you don't have to go the extra mile with Riker to have him have this scene where it's like, Oh, but I really want control of the enterprise. Yeah. You, you just, you, you, you get it. Yeah. You you know. know, You know, yeah. that's that's the ship that he wants. Right. Yeah. And so when he gets it, I yeah. think is really where that starts to like gain a lot of its weight. Right. And what's interesting, too, there's a couple points here I want to get your thoughts on, because I'm going to I'm going to expose you a little bit here. So when we were watching this episode, you I know you're you really get it now, but there was a moment between uh, Riker and Shelby. Where mm-hmm. Shelby is very over eager. Yes. Right? She's pushing the crew to its limits. And Riker has this moment where he basically countermands her and he says, no, ignore what Commander Shelby just said. You're going to listen to me. You're all going to go rest because you need to be at maximum capacity. Right. right. And you you told me because I paused it. I, I think I even did like a temperature check. I'm like, well, what do you think about this? And you're like, he doesn't want her to succeed. Yeah. Right. I remember he, that. He, yeah. And I I love that moment. Right. Because that's that is the crux of Star Trek. Because I would right. be the same way. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like, OK, he's being petty now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. But later on in the episode, uh, actually, I think it's I think it's episode two. I can't yeah. I, I can't remember when this happens, but in the in the officers meeting. Right. Right. And he he says beforehand, like everybody has total faith in Riker. Everybody's very obviously aware that he's not being petty. Right. He's yeah. doing his job. Right. Like, don't worry, I'll handle her. She immediately goes around him to like go wind to his boss, find mm-hmm. a Picard. Right. Like there's this dynamic. But in the officers meeting, he's like, as much as I hate to admit it. Right. He even says as much. Yep. Commander Selby is the person for this job. Yeah. She like I need Warfic uh, at uh, tactical, right? right? Right. I need data where he is, right? Yep. Shelby's the one. She has she has all this Borg knowledge too, right? So I I love that little moment with Riker too, where you can even you can already see the Picard ness, right? Of like I'm in charge, screw you, little girl, but. At the same time, I respect you. I respect the hustle. You remind me of me, young man. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Except young woman. But right. Mm-hmm. And I like the dynamic, too, of there is an immediate. Right. I think it would be somewhat of a disservice to not show that just because he's gotten the chair doesn't mean he's evolved to a super saiyan. You know what I mean? Just yes. like Picard. Guinan, Guinan even says, I'm used to having the captain's ear, right? A wiser person comes to give him counsel, 
right? Guinan's hundreds of years old and she's all kinds of shit. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Look, it seems like you're in a vulnerable spot. You have to let go of Picard. It would have been better if Picard died because we could accept it. But the crew can sense your hesitation. You have to let it go. Right. You're the captain now. Look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> yeah. Well, well yeah. so and even in that moment, too, I, th- I think what is so good about that is that she is effectively without saying this this is what picard would do and it is almost like you just understand given what has happened up until that point that that is what riker needs to hear yeah and i think it's a confidence boosting moment too because like he even says himself like there's a really nice little quote again in the officers meeting where he's like Right about now is the time where Captain Picard would say something like profound or something like that. Right. Right. And to be honest, I'd like to hear it, too. But I think all we can do is go out there and make him proud or whatever. Right. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. this thing of like you, we, we all know what's at stake here. Right. I'm not going to I don't need to pep you up. That was Picard's thing. You know what right. I mean? Right. Exactly. So. Yeah, I loved it. Um, it. It's such a it's such a great I mean, it's a great Riker episode, obviously, too. But it is it is a great representation of you know, here, here is how this show can be when everything coalesces the right way. You know what yeah. I mean? When all of the good things that star Trek and especially all of the good things that the next generation specifically are when they coalesce to create the next generation, this is yeah. what it, and like to use your words, this is what the show can be. Exactly. Um, really quickly. So I want to move on to family, but the thesis here was Picard. And I think this is a really good Picard set piece, too, because this is the antithesis of Picard's character at a certain point. This is the worst possible outcome for someone like Jean-Luc Picard. So Jean-Luc Picard gets assimilated. We get a nice little moment where you can see the single tear. Before he gets assimilated, he says, I will never submit. I will never help you. Like, I don't care if you threaten me with death. Right. He's he's never been one to shy away from his own mortality. Right. His ideals are at the core of his being. Yeah. And we get this nice moment again. Uh, after they they contact the Admiralty and they're talking, Hey, we lost Picard. They're on their way. We'll, we'll get to Wolf three, five, nine as soon as we can. And I think it, I can't remember if it's Shelby. Someone says something to the effect of like, well, with Captain Picard assisting the Borg and she doesn't mean it that way. Right. But the Admiral's like, okay, Missy, listen up. When I was at the Academy, when I was a uh-huh. teacher or whatever he was there, right. I saw a young man, a freshman win the academy marathon it's never been done before i have never seen such drive in an individual and let me tell you jean-luc picard would never assist the borg (laughs) right i like he is a casualty of war and it's a tragedy but never say that again you know what i mean like that that is to show you how painful this is for picard and we're going to talk about his trauma and family but it helps you understand that like this is a fate worse than death for basically anybody, but for especially for him, he's they're making him tear apart his own legacy. Right. So good. I was just going to say, I think this is a really good segue into family. I want to talk about my favorite episode of the arc. Oh, wow. I'm glad I like this one too. I want to talk about family. Uh, 
because specifically talk about it because I want to go to a specific line that I think is the through line of this episode. Yeah. And there is a moment where when faced with the fact that his parents are coming aboard. Yeah. Worf is contemplative. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he says to Riker uh, regarding what happened with him with the Klingons, right? Yeah. And why he is so nervous about seeing his parents again. He says to Riker, I do not believe any human can truly understand yeah. my dishonor. Uh-huh. And I can uh, see your face right now. <laughs> you get you, I'm so happy you get it. I'm so happy that you get it. I have the biggest shit-eating grin right now. <laughs> and go, this go, is, off, go off, King. Come well, on. So, so this is... This is so good for me because this sets the tone for everything that you are going to see that starts with Worf is exemplified by Picard and is wrapped up by Wesley Crusher. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to briefly summarize. I'm going to let you go off because I don't want to pollute you at all. This is exactly what I was hoping you would get. (laughs) So, okay. So, um, so to recap, uh, after the end of the best of the both worlds, the immediate next episode, and it's worth noting too, I applaud this show for focusing on it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a show about overcoming trauma. This is about returning to normalcy. It's a three plot line episode. We have Jean-Luc Picard taking leave on Earth to rest and recuperate. He's going back to France to see his brother, his estranged brother, who's never gotten along with and their family. Yes. Worf is getting visitors. So Worf is an adopted Klingon. His, yes. He is a lone survivor. I believe the lone survivor of, an, of a Romulan attack on a Klingon outpost. He was adopted by Russian parents. Uh, and that that's how he came to be in Starfleet. He was raised on earth. He is a man of two cultures, right? Right. And Worf does not necessarily want to see his parents. Not, this is a great character building episode for Worf too. I don't think we'll talk about it too much, but you start to understand that Worf is more than even just his Klingon trappings, right? He really does love his parents, but there's something, there's something more to it, Right. Uh, and then finally, we get a nice little piece with Wesley, Wesley Crusher coming more to grips with the death of his father. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, go, yeah, go ahead. Go off. Well, so um, so the reason that this was my favorite episode of everything that we watched um, is because I think that it is a very good payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a payoff for in like I'm I'm sort of putting myself i'm 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 self-inserting here into the into the shoes and the the mindset of somebody that has watched every episode up until this point um because i have not but um you know i think that i can really empathize with this is such a good payoff for uh sticking with the ethos of the show to when it's at its most literal and you're now seeing it uh, when it's like humanized. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's a really, it's easy to say that Picard and Robert's relationship, Robert's brother is relatable because everybody's got family that they have beef with. Right. Um, I myself don't talk to my own father, so, you know, it's relatable, right? Right. It, um, 
it touches a very common theme in humanity. But I think the thing that makes it um, a little bit more salient for the purpose of Picard is that his brother's life is so different from Mm -hmm. his own that you are immediately made aware that these guys are just on two opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. You don't meet Robert before you understand that. Mm -hmm. Right. And when you finally come to see him for the first time, when they meet in the vineyards, right. Mm -hmm. And he's just sitting there and he's eating his grapes and he's picking his, picking them off the vine. He doesn't even look at John. Picard. Yep. Mm -hmm. He, he won't even turn around. He's just like intentional. Yes. He's just Uh like, you're here. Yeah. Good. Yes. Thank you for letting me know. I'll see you later. Yeah. Greetings. Right. Be gone. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I love their dynamic. Uh, I love every conversation they have. It's great. And I want to, I want to talk about the rumble and the vines Mm -hmm. and the subsequent breakdown that Picard has, because this is where, I think the Borg storyline really comes to a head. Yeah. Is they go walking in the woods and they get into that, that little argument. And I can't remember. Do you what, want me to take care of you again, Jean-Luc? That, yeah, that's what it is. And, and, yeah. and I love, I love the part too. Uh, uh, when Robert talks about being, having needing to be the responsible one, right? Like yeah. I'm always mm-hmm. the responsible one. And I was like, how incredulous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you want to talk about responsibility. Yeah. Jean-Luc Picard. This man's getting talking talked down to by a vineyard farmer. Not not only and not only talked down to. Yeah. But made out to be reckless. Yeah. Infantilized, honestly. Yes. Yeah. And for somebody recovering from being assimilated. By yeah. the Borg. And what we just talked about, how how awful this is for Picard specifically. And he just slugs them. Yeah. And they just go to town and they start yeah. rolling around in, in the in in the mud in the vineyard and they start, you know, wrestling and everything. And eventually there is this moment where Picard just has this breakdown in the mud. And he, you know, is waxing about, you know, you just don't understand. Well, and yeah, it's worth noting, too. He's bawling. He's bawling. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, he is. This is this is Picard at his. At, at, and as somebody Literally, for someone like Picard, this is rock bottom. Well, yeah. And as somebody, again, I will restate, I've not watched the entire show, but I understand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What is happening here? This is Picard at his most raw. Right. Yeah. Everything has been stripped away. The medals, the accolades, the uniform, the captain's chair. He's quite literally covered in shit. Yeah. Lying in the dirt, the literal dirt. Yeah. Balling his eyes out. Balling his eyes out to his brother who just got done infantilizing him for not being responsible and not being reckless. And you just don't fucking understand Robert. And at the end of all of this. Robert looks at him and says, so my brother is a human being after all. Chef's fucking kiss. Yeah, exactly. Because it's also like it's such a perfect way to handle it with Picard. Like Picard is not the guy that goes home and everything is hugs and kisses. It's 
it's about time someone took you down a peg, you arrogant bastard. That's right. You're you're a human, too. And you finally see it. How like how it's almost like how dare you make this about you? Oh, I got assimilated by the Borg. Big whoop. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. you're, you're a human. Did right. you think that you were a god? What right. do you mean? You know what I mean? Like, you you did, basically, I mean, it's in its own way. Like, you did as good as you could have done. Shut up. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I think it is especially, too, like, you know, the mark of a good character for me and a well-written character is being able to self-insert without purposely self-inserting right with picard is not the self-insert character right right? absolutely but you understand that this is i mean strip away the fact that this is his brother that he's got beef with strip strip away the fact that you know they're talking they're in this very personal relationship this is captain jean Luc picard being told yeah all of this sort of self-imposed you know super personal perspective yeah. by a fucking vineyard farmer <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean well, but it, you're touching upon this great piece too and i i am so glad you caught on to why this is a three plot line episode right yes the title of the episode is family right wharf no human could possibly understand my dishonor. Picard, you don't understand, Robert, that I couldn't do it. I couldn't stop the Borg. I wasn't strong enough. Wesley coming to terms with his father's death. He's Wesley's more of a solo thing, right? He doesn't have someone to complain to. But this, this triad of like, no, family supersedes all of this bullshit because you are mortals. Yes. Worf, you're in this crazy power struggle and conspiracy three with the Klingon Empire. I don't care. You're our son. We're going to be there for you. Right. You don't have to share the burden alone. Go ahead. And with Jack Crusher. Yeah. And this is this is this is why this is my favorite episode. Of the arc is because Jack Crusher's hologram message to Wesley at one point, you know, so he goes on and he's like, you know, I just want to you're 10 weeks old and I just wanted to record this. You know, every everyone who has ever thought about being a father who who is a thoughter or who is a father has probably done something like this. Right. Like, I'm going to write you a letter. I'm going to record my voice. I'm going to record this video. This is effectively what this is. Jack Crusher's like, you're 10 weeks old at the time of recording. I just want to tell you and show you the person I am today because the person that I am today is not going to be around when you're 18 years old. Exactly. And he meant that as like, I'm going to grow and I'm going to change. But what really happened is that he dies. Yeah. Right. And so he's got this line when he's talking to Wesley in this, in this hologram where he says, and I think that he just, this is why this is such a good capstone to all the, the, this whole thing. Cause it really just, mm. he says, I can't explain why Starfleet means so much to me. Yeah. 
And I think that that is the undertext to Picard, yes. to Riker, to Worf, yeah. to all of these people that have this not, not blind loyalty, but this driving motivation to all of their actions. Even somebody like General Maddox yeah. cannot explain to you why Starfleet means so much to him, but that is what drives him to want to take data. It all comes back to this theme. It's so good, dude. Yeah, I, I'm so happy you like this because <laughs> so I relate to the Jack Crusher thing yeah. and the wharf thing more than I relate to the Picard thing. I don't know if I've told you this, but uh, so I've dealt with depression in my life. Yeah, specifically the darkest period of my life. I worked at Microsoft. I had my dream job. I am an I am obsessed with video games. I literally never shut up about them. I think about them all the time. I know that doesn't sound like like everybody does that, but hopefully I'll be able to ex- show what I mean as as we go on through some of these episodes in this in this podcast. But uh, I got my dream job. I was working at Xbox and I was fresh out of college. I had never lived anywhere but home. And it was really hard uh, to move across the country not really have friends. I worked really grueling hours, crunch, uh, crunch culture. Right. Yeah. I still look back fondly on the people and the time. I don't resent my time there, but I was in a really dark place. Right. And the wharf and the Wesley thing always gets me because at the time I needed the wharf story. And now I am the Jack Crusher story because at the time, I, I my lifeline was my parents. Right. Yeah. And I would call them and I would vent. Right. Mm hmm. And I had this moment of like, you can't understand how hard this is for me, right? Right. Like that I've reached like the pinnacle, right? And it doesn't make me happy. And I'm miserable all the time and all this kind of stuff, right? And I would just get these these comments from my mom of like, and my my dad of, yeah, but none of that matters. You're our son. If you're not happy, come home. You know what I mean? Right. And lo and behold, I'm back in Pittsburgh. But like (laughs) just like it's it's just this thing of like you get this trumped up view of yourself. I can't let people down by not working at Microsoft or whatever, not stopping the Borg, not carrying my shame alone. But family supersedes that. Right. At least in my case. That's right. So I, I love that that wharf story. And then with the Jack Crusher story, I am no longer the man I was all those years ago. Yes. Right. It's created a different person. That trauma is well, it's not a trauma, but you know, what I mean, that. Yeah. That part right. of my life is a part of me now. Right. Yeah. So uh, family. It's called family for a reason. This and, is this is yeah. why this is why this show is not just for adults and smart people. This is this is this is this is what is so great about how how Star Trek presents these yeah. problems. These problems that uh, seem like uh, oh it's the Borg. It's this cyborg race. Like yeah. But when you get assimilated, when Picard gets assimilated, it's not just this existential threat of, well, now the world is going to blow up. He failed. Yeah. And it's just dealing with that that I think 
really sort of shows yeah. you what Star Trek yeah. can be. Yeah, I I love this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. When you so pre-show, we were we were doing a little bit of meta commentary here, and we were talking about okay, well we'll talk about the favorite episode. I figured that you would pick the best of both worlds in New York. And I am thrilled <laughs> that you picked family because it's my favorite too. I loved it. Man. I, am, I am. I am more interested in the talking than the fighting. Yeah. And this is some of the best talking in the series. I loved so. it, man. I think that, um, you know, it, and, and even for Riker being my favorite character, Riker's not really in this other than to be just yeah. like, uh, you know, he, he serves up the plot line for Worf is essentially yeah. what he's there Basically. for. But, um, you know, I think it just, I think it provides a lot of really great undertext to the next generation in general and why when it does hit, it hits the way that it does. Right. Yeah. Um, this was, this was my favorite episode. Um, awesome. and I think that, you know, I, I Borg is really great because, you know, I Borg, I don't want to say it was my least favorite, but I Borg was definitely like, I Borg was a, a very good epilogue to family, yeah. I think. Right. Because, um, this is Picard um, after family. This is Picard after this whole thing happens. And this is how he encounters the Borg again. And it is just a very good um, sort of end development to the yeah. Picard Borg storyline. I really debated including this because family saying it's an epilogue is a great it's, yeah. it's the they know mall. Yeah, right? mm -hmm. uh, I I really went back and forth about including this in the arc but i, I wanted it because of specifically the picard bit in the yeah. end mm -hmm. right um and to to say that this is the beginning of the end this is almost the beginning of a separate story right i don't think that's really true but what it really shows and I, I think this is really interesting to point out about the show in general. Someone will correct me. I don't think any man in Star, any person in Star Trek history, granted, barring the new stuff, right? Like, so I'm talking like up to Voyager. Yeah. I don't think any person in Star Trek history has been as traumatized as Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, he has had more existential crises than anyone I can think of. Uh I, I might be wrong. Someone will probably correct me, but <laughs> that's 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 my assessment. Yeah. And his moment with Hugh at the end of the episode, I think, is so heavy with the implications of something that like in, in another show, space travel would be really lighthearted. Right. Or there would always be a return to status quo. And this really hammers home that they're changed. It's not Picard had his cry session in the dirt and he's OK now. Right. This will haunt him forever. Right. Yeah. Um, so to really quickly talk about what the episode is again, go watch it. Season five. A year and some change has passed since the time of family. And the Enterprise is going along its way and it finds a signal that leads them to a crashed Borg kind of drone ship. And they find a couple of well, they either find only one or they find a one surviving Borg drone and a couple like dead Borg. Yeah, they, either it's, way. it's five. It's five of them. OK, either way, they, they find specifically one living Borg drone. Worf, obviously, is like, let's kill it. Yeah, because he's Worf. 
Uh, everybody kind of agrees, but Dr. Wesley Crusher, not Wesley Crusher, uh, Beverly Crusher, yeah. Dr. Beverly Bev. Crusher. Yep. Is ever the, uh, the medical code. I will not kill this living thing. I am duty bound to save its life. Right. So they bring the Borg drone back to the ship. They heal it and they begin studying it. Right. So over the course of this, the, uh, Jordy and Data determined they could create basically like a logic bomb, an unsolvable puzzle that the Borg will be compelled to solve. Yeah. That'll like shut down the collective. It's right. literally infecting them with a computer forever virus. Solving it. Yeah. So it's literally a computer virus. Right. Right. Uh, and they're they're looking at they're examining this Borg drone to basically be able to do it. Right. Yeah. And learn more about them. Right. Over the course of this episode. The Borg drone speaks, particularly to Jordy LaForge. And Jordy's a great character for episodes like this, right? Jordy is the most grounded human on the on the cast. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jordy speaks with the drone and kind of reteaches it individuality. We were alluding to this earlier, but the Borg drone says, well, why don't you want to be assimilated? Well, that's the point. I say, I am Jordy LaForge. That doesn't make sense to you. What's your name? And he says, like, whatever his number designation is. Yeah, three of five. I wrote it down because I was like, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And Jordy's like, see, like, you're only you only think about the collective. I am me. I don't want to be everybody. I want to be me. Right. Long story short, the whole crew starts to have second thoughts about doing this. The one that surprised me the most was Guinan. We're, yeah, we're going to get that. So Guinan, uh, Guinan Whoopi Goldberg, the best counselor on the ship. That's right. Uh, she uh, her civilization was destroyed by the Borg. They were scattered throughout the galaxy. They're, they become travelers. So she's not a fan of the Borg, suffice to say. And they come to her and well, Jordy does and says, I'm having second thoughts about doing this to Hugh. They've given them the name Hugh. He's no longer just a Borg. I can't see him as a thing. He's another culture. He's another species. I cannot in good faith do this to them. And Guinan's incredulous. And she goes and talks to Hugh. And Hugh has basically kind of had an about face, right? He's like, okay, I understand now that you don't want to be assimilated. They've, right? they've, they've done things to him and for him that have contextualized that uh, they don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. And Guinan... Again, 24th century, and in her case, hundreds of years old, Guinan, very wise alien. Whose yeah. race was assimilated. Yeah, well, uh, it's not said whether they were assimilated, but at least destroyed. You would okay, assume yeah. assimilated, All right. right? Yeah, yeah, so, sure. But yeah, but to your point, like, the point of what you said is still true. That right. They mm-hmm. basically, game over. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So she she's like, I agree. Hugh is an individual. I cannot condone using him like a walking nuke. Right. And the last man standing is Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard is incredulous, to say the least. I was a Borg. What the fuck are you people talking about? (laughs) Yeah. I am the foremost expert here. You're all talking bullshit. I've literally (laughs) been decimilated. Yeah, exactly. I know what I'm talking about. Bring this Borg drone to me. We'll see. And I right. love how they do it, too. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm ready. And they just yeah. beam him to his office. Yeah. So Hugh and Picard are alone together in his ready room. And Picard 
has a, a not subtle change. And he, he goes from speaking in his, his captainly tone to he turns to Hugh and he says, identify. Yes. Right. And it's worth noting, Hugh knows this is Locutus, right? The, yeah. the, he was part of the collective. Yeah, he keeps he calling know, him Locutus and everything. Yeah, he knows every board. You mentioned that before. And like, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> like it, it's like you you mentioned that on, on the first episode that that uh, he even calls him Locutus. And like I was expecting it like, you know, just like this very robotic thing. But like at this point in the episode, Hugh, like you as the viewer are like yeah. Hugh is an individual. And then yeah. he and like he, it's not just, well, the Borg recognize him as Locutus. Hugh is like, it's Locutus. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, Locutus. Holy cow. Right. It's nice to meet. Nice to see you. Kinda, right. you know exactly. I mean? Not, not right. in that sense, but right. like yeah. that, that kind of air as far as a Borg can right. go. But anyway, Picard puts on an act. I am Locutus of Borg. Identify. Yeah. Hugh says, well, I'm Hugh. Hugh no, is you're not, not a designation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hugh is not a Borg designation. Identify. Right. I think he says three of five. I think he does. Yeah. Like, uh, go back to the Borg designation. And Hugh's like, what are you doing here, Locutus? He's like, I am preparing this culture for assimilation. Right. And, and we, I, I mean, I have was never under the impression that he was still Locutus. But no, he's, but put, he's putting on this convincing act. Because right, he's, like, he's convinced he's like, this is still a Borg. There's no yeah. fucking way. And then what I think is so good is like, it's not like this, this moment where he's like, I am Hugh. And yeah. it's like dramatic music, right? <laughs> it's he goes, but they don't want to be assimilated. Yeah. And you're just like, and, oh, <laughs> oh, it's Picard himself points out Hugh. It's it's almost like there's an episode where um, Riker realizes that someone is impersonating data when data says can't. Yes. He uses a contraction. Right. Data would only say they cannot. Cannot. Right. Picard notices when he's talking to Hugh, like, OK, well, Hugh, you will assist me with this. We will assimilate this ship and then the culture. And Hugh says, like, I think he says, like, I don't I don't want to do that. And Picard's like he like immediately returns Picard. Did you just say I? Uh -huh. What is happening? Like I this this for Picard, this does not compute. Right. This does not reconcile with his worldview. And we're, we're going to wrap back into this because this is why I included it. But I love that moment of. Not that this is news that Picard is human, but I just love this kind of denouement moment of this still haunts him. He still has preconceived notions and this kind of simmering hatred of the Bork, right? He's he's he is more than happy to consider completely annihilating their species. Right. Right. But when he is confronted by the fact that there is more than meets the eye, that the Borg are not simply this collective will that cannot be negotiated with. This is not a disease, right? You can't negotiate with a disease. Right. You have to you have to kill it. Right. This is a culture. It's one that's beyond our understanding, but it is unconscionable and immoral someone actually grills him later they say you could have destroyed the borg and you let this drone go and he said well i did what was morally correct right i i don't believe that it's worth saving air quotes the federation in that way it right? is it is like a it's it's almost like a moment where um for so long 
the prime directive has not been a factor in dealing with the Borg. Yeah. And now it is. Yeah. It's 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 do no harm on a cosmic scale kind of. Right. Yeah. But anyway, suffice to say, they, they Hugh volunteers to go back to save his friend, Jordy. He calls Jordy his friend. Right. right. And Hugh actually shows up later. It's kind of it kind of spoils the Iborg moment this is where I say the show kind of peters off at the mm, end. It's yeah. Kind of. But anyway, um, the, the, the thesis statement here, and I want to get your thoughts on it is um, specifically right coming out of family and coming out of q who and all these types of things like give give me some of your thoughts spit to me about like it's almost kind of like resetting back to square one in a way right it is and i i think that's a good way of of describing it but it's not like a a a total reset we're gonna call it a reboot yeah exactly because um I mentioned that, you know, for so long, the prime directive was not a factor when dealing with the Borg. And I think that the concept of that statement is really sort of provides the attitude that I have towards that is that um, it's a moment of understanding. It's a moment of learning. And it's, I think, a really good uh, representation of Star Trek and and, and the foundations and its ethos is like, you know, we went through literal war. Somebody legit, like even in that episode in I Borg, I think it might be Riker or, or somebody, maybe it's Beverly. I can't remember. Somebody's like, but, but we're at war. It's like, well, nobody's actually declared war against the Borg. Right. And Picard's like, well, when they, I think it's Picard. He's like, well, when they were like, we're going to assimilate you, that means destruction. That's war. It's like, but is it? And like even, yeah. even in those even in those small conversations, they're starting to show this understanding of, you know, like you said, it's more of a culture than it is. Yeah. You know, well, so it, I, but it's like it's like the idea, like I said this before, of like, can you declare war on a disease? Yeah, right. And so it's, I, it's good. I was just going to say, I think it's, you know, I think, you know, to your point, I think it's this this really interesting moment of. You yourself as the viewer are engaging in this just as much as these characters are of learning, understanding and growing. Yeah. Uh, It's worth noting, too, that. Like. Let me think about how to say this. It's worth noting that. This is a time where the crew and their opinions is in kind of a parallel with the viewer, like you're saying, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like the episode begins and there's a lot of these, like the Darmok episode that I told you about. That's one of my favorites, right? Yeah. Like there, there's this moment of you're following along with the crew. And when you first see the Borg, you probably agree with Worf. Kill it. Right. There are, and I don't mean to interrupt you. There are yeah. many points throughout that episode that, it checks in with the viewer. Right. Like the, the, when, when Picard and, and uh, taken off one of my notes, when Picard and Guinan are fencing and they, they are having that conversation and she's like, you know, you're, you're spicy today or whatever she says. Yeah. Cause he's like whacking her. He's like beating yeah. the shit out of her. Uh, 
what what is the the I, I love it because like you know Picard's got some pricks to him. He's got some prickles every so yeah. often, and this is one of those moments because like. Guinan says something like, well, you're going, you're going hard in the paint today or something to that effect. And Picard's like, you weren't saying that last week when you beat me. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like something yeah. like that where it's like, you're just salty, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're but, just uh, in a bad mood. You're yeah. in a foul mood. Yeah. But they, but they even like, they go back and, um, find Guinan fakes an injury and she's just like, boop, gotcha. And he, yeah. and she says, you know, you felt sorry for me. Look what that got you. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's also kind of this thing of you almost feel like, no, you idiot. No, don't go in there. You know what I mean? It's like that, like you're 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 meddling with powers beyond your ken. It's it's dramatic irony. Yeah. At least you think it's dramatic irony. Right. Oh, these poor fools following their code of honor. This is going to end terribly. And the, right. And I think the 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 loudest and and the last, because this is right before they bring him in to talk to Picard is when um, he's talking to Guinan because Guinan's like, I think you should hear him out. And Picard is like, what? Yeah. You <laughs> he, of all people is yeah. going to feed, feed me this crock of shit. And yeah. I think that, I think the, the, the last time that he, that the show checks in with the audience on this is when he says, and this is the most extreme part uh, before the show starts to, begin to present Hughes change is Picard with as much of an outburst as you'll hear from him goes, it's not a person. It's a board. Damn it. Yeah. And, exactly. and that is the last time that they check in with the audience on that, because right after that is when he has that conversation with Hugh. Yeah. And I mean, I think that any, any normal, like empathetic open audience is going to take that journey with the crew and come to this realization of like, oh man, that would be really fucked up if we were to do this to him. You know what I mean? Right. Like I, as weird as it sounds to say, he's kind of a nice guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's not violent. He's right. not antagonistic. He's curious. He's almost an explorer like us. And you I want to I, mean? I want to take this all the way back to the opening of episode one. And yep. I want to go back to when Gene Roddenberry says in that that thesis clip. Yep. We need to realize that there's another intelligent life form on the end of the television set. Yeah, right. This is them realizing that there is indeed another intelligent life form on the other end of the board. I mean, th this is we've talked about this at length before, but it's like this idea of like. I, I like things that respect me yes. right i like m media that respects me that will either have hard conversations or take for granted that i'm not an idiot right just show me that this thing is not a machine you don't have to have heavy-handed diatribe about it right which i mean they talk about it but in the sense of them coming to terms with it like can you believe that this guy is not that bad i can't believe this guy is not that bad wouldn't it be pretty fucked up if we used him as a virus you know what i mean like this this journey like I, like you said i think is really indicative of that and a lot of these episodes are of i'm not gonna hold your hand you're going to understand that it's fucked up to do it to this guy, right? You're going to, at the end, you're going to be the one looking at Picard. It's, it's, um, I don't know if it counts as dramatic irony. 
I guess it technically is because we know something that Picard doesn't, but it's almost kind of the reverse, right? Of like, you're, we're kind of looking down at Picard now, like, oh man, Picard, you're not right here, buddy. You know what I mean? Like you got to come, come up to where we are. You need to learn, you need to understand and you need to grow. Exactly. So yeah, that, that was the, that was the end of the arc, but Okay, so we have to talk about Night Terrors and then kind of wrap it up. But what did you think of the arc? Because I I put a lot of thought into this. I actually had three ideas for arcs of similar length. Yeah. And this is this is the one I went with. I mean, are you asking me the question? Yeah. Did I show you? So I've been watching a whole fuck ton of Next Generation. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, I, 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 I feel victorious but also hopeful for the future i took i took your advice and i I have to admit i took your advice i have not watched season one yet um i have heard that i've heard from you and from a lot of other people and seen online that like season one you can take or leave it's not necessary to start watching the show especially considering my exposure to it was this arc um yeah i don't think there's a lot of foundational uh things that i need to learn by watching season one i will eventually watch it but for the purpose of me getting into it my first real episode in earnest was the measure of a man so that is theoretically my season one episode one so i started with season two i took your star trek virginity is what you're saying yeah you took my star trek virginity in fact yes in in (laughs) fact um it is uh it has been uh, a really uh valuable watch i i I really enjoyed the um that's i'll talk i'll talk about the arc specifically but i really enjoyed the arc and you know some of the 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 side the side episodes that we did outside of the arc um for the reasons that we've just talked about at length and they have such inspired me to to continue watching the show i really love it um i it it is it is become sort of like my de facto uh, I don't know what to do with myself sort of yeah. entertainment right now. Um, it's great. Uh, I loved it. That's awesome. I'm really glad because, again, premise of the show, right? I want to talk to you about these things. There's things you want to talk to me about. There's a lot of great stuff out there that's hard to find in all of the sea of bullshit. And I am not easy to please. You know this. Yeah. <laughs> Our audience will come to understand this in yes. excruciating detail. I also have niche taste. Uh, usually the weirder you are, the more I like it. Yeah. So this is not something I've had a lot of people be able to relate on on like I, this sounds so arrogant, but I'm just going to say it because it's the way I feel like I feel like the show is a little too cerebral for some people. Not that like they're stupid. But they're not coming to this media from the angle of anything other than I want to watch TV. Right. I want the Michael Bay experience. I want explosions and loud noises and things like that. Right. And pretty girls and whatever. Right. Right. I I always come into this media with the like I want to think critically about interesting topics and think about the future. And it's hard to find people that can really pick that up. And I'm so glad you pick up on some of the subtler stuff, too, (laughs) like with family. Like if I would show family to someone like uh, they would they might describe it as like, oh, the sappy feelings episode or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, no, this is like this is recompounding the thesis statement. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is reexamining these characters. Right. It's going back to square one. So 
I, I like that you pick up on that stuff because this is what really excites me about the show. Well, it's, it's, also, it's also why, like, I sort of cringe sometimes when people talk about, like, characters being deep. Like, what, what does that yeah. mean? Like, what, what does yeah. character depth actually mean? It doesn't mean, like, I, I feel like in, in the most modern sense, character depth to people is, like, going through these, these like, different beats of extreme... Yeah something extreme happiness extreme success extreme torment extreme struggle and i don't think that you have to always represent something as extreme to make a point and to to show complexity and i think that's what star trek gets well this this is the thing too that's a really good point like to in pittsburgh terms the monongahela river is very deep but it's also filthy and no one wants to go that deep Right. Yeah. The Monongahela River is filthy. Yes. Riku. This immediately came to my mind. Susie said that Riku, the deuteragonist and antagonist of Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Silver haired anime boy is a deep character because there are like 20 fucking games in that series. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's all trash. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Spoilers on my thoughts on Kingdom Hearts. I like Kingdom Hearts one, two and birth by sleep and everything else is trash. So. Just because there's a ton of lore, you can write a ton of fan fiction and have a deep character yeah. because there's a lot of lore, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. I, I don't e- I don't even know that I would call Picard deep, but he has like deep moments. There are profound written moments so, involving him. Right. So an example that I always pull from that I will invoke here as well is um, a song of fire and ice game yeah. of thrones. We've talked about the show at length uh, privately. I'm sure at some point we will talk about it on on record. But I think about um, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but um, uh, Stannis's daughter. Oh, uh, I know what you mean. I can't remember her name either. Shireen. 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 Thank you. When he burns Shireen. Yeah. That is fucking terrible. Right. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. How impactful would that be if it wasn't in Game of Thrones? Right. So what I think is so interesting about Star Trek is it is a show of measure. It is a show that understands when it, and again, I will go back to saying that it's not every episode. I understand that. But in terms of speaking strictly of the episodes that we've watched and we've discussed here today, it is a show that understands that you do not need to have the Borg blow up the planet to convey how serious of a threat they are, but you need to have uh, like a character like Picard who has been built the way that he has to convey that appropriately without needing extreme violence or action. Right. Like, because it's also the thing, too, like it, it, every episode is ultimately contextual as you are watching more and more of the series. And to like there's the meme in current writing of subvert your expectations. Right. You and I are both in agreement that being subversive is not intrinsically a good thing. Right. You are not necessarily clever for turning a concept on its head. You can be clever if you execute something correctly, but 
Don't expect people to applaud just because you do something different. But within that that kind of context, right, that the show has usually an established structure. And then when it takes a step outside itself to reexamine, right, there is a big difference between how does Picard react when the prime directive is broken by accident, right? And who watches the Watchmen? And what does it mean to Picard to be forced to destroy his own legacy, to be forced to destroy the things he holds dear, right? Right. Those are two different contexts. And there you get that a lot now in uh like like I said, like before, like the short narrative Netflix original type things. Right. right? You get a lot of that now. But especially for a serialized show, I give it a lot of credit that it went out, it reached out in these ways and really pushed it. It, the push the envelope internally with its character development. I think, I think a lot of people too would probably point at you know time period, budget constraints, and the type of show that it that that it ultimately is too is saying like, well, you know, Star Trek has never really been about doing that, so why would they do that? But I think the the point is less about you know making almost an excuse for Star Trek's existence um, in light of modern content but more about showing that um, the things that modern content tries to convey and the points that it tries to make with, with its extreme visualization of its subject matter um, often don't get made. And right. you see it with a show like Star Trek being as dated and it, as it is in both you know, time and budget, you see a show like The Next Generation overwhelmingly succeed in some cases at making those points and being profound in doing it. And you just wonder to yourself, what is it about this show <laughs> that, 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 you know, current content just doesn't get. And, that, and yeah. that's one of the things that I've, that I've loved about it the most is that even in its age, it feels refreshing and new. Yeah. And this is not even to say like, it would be very easy to accuse me of having this uh, this mode of thought of like new stuff bad, old stuff good. Sure, right, right. This is not, that's not really true. Even though I'm, that might, the first even though that might yeah. be the case. Yeah, but like uh, truthfully. Yeah, I mean, they, there's something to be said for the current mode of thought in a lot of writing and the oversaturation of the market too. Like there, there are just more writers now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's well, still a lot of good stuff out there, but there's also a lot of trash because there's a lot of people watching a lot of content. Well, I, right? think, I think it's a similar conversation to, to I mean, like, you know, that applies to any medium that applies to games, that applies to music, yeah. that applies to, you know, it, anything. You know, it's, you know, the more people you have getting their shit made and published, you know, yeah. you're, it, the wider net you cast, the more fish you're going to catch, you know? Right. So, but I think that, it's important to recognize the next generation, um, specifically the next generation, because of its differences to TOS, even though it's, you know, still Star Wars at a foundational level or Star Trek, sorry, at a foundational yeah, I, I level. Mean, yeah. um, I think it's important to recognize the next generation um, and how it succeeds uh, the way that it does. And this right. arc is really a good example of that. Yeah. So well, 
yeah let let's talk about night terrors real quick and then i think we can wrap it up because i just want all i really wanted to talk about with night terrors is how cool are some of them visuals man? oh man well the, go ahead i just I loved that like this is an example and I'm, I'm going to reference another example that's in season two as well. But the Sherlock Holmes episode is another episode that I felt this way about where it's mm-hmm. like when it does reach out of its boundaries. Yeah, there are some moments where you just get this feeling where it's like somebody was allowed to make their art. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, because like uh, the the most striking visual I remember from Night Terrors, other than Deanna in space, like where she yeah she's in the the green void, which is creepy on its own yeah. But Beverly Crusher in the morgue yeah, and all the bodies, all the bodies. Up, yeah, that, dude. That um, that was on uh, evening TV. Yeah, dude. It, like in the nineties. Yeah, like uh-huh. you have to understand too, right? Like psychological horror in the nineties was like not as common of a trope as it is today. Right. Like you like need, I remind you that when the shining came out, it was universally panned. Okay. Right. So like, this is a moment in time where I think people at large were just not ready for that type of shit. Right. Exactly. Even extending into the nineties. So to your point about it being on television, like television horror at this point in time was tales from the crypt. Right. Yeah. It wasn't this you're in this. Here's this doctor lady character in a morgue that is obviously like derivative of her profession. And all all of a sudden these bodies all sit up like that is yeah. not tales from the cryptor. That is like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. This is exorcist kind yeah, of stuff. Absolutely. Right? It's a great comparison. Yeah, yeah definitely. But it's um it's so interesting to me too because star trek is definitely one of these things that i think as time passes people lose sight of some of the novelty and i told you this fact and i I, so i was uh over the holiday break uh i had an outdoor bonfire with some family trying to be covid compliant and we got to talking about star trek and i mentioned that i was talking about this yeah and my dad and my uncle brothers they they both really like star trek my uncle more than my dad but they started kind of waxing as you do about the the original series, right? Yeah. And they started talking and they were talking, oh, it was so crazy and ahead of its time. And I was with my cousins and they don't really watch this kind of stuff, right? So I brought up like the diversity thing and everybody was like, oh yeah, like Ahura, right? And I, I, I told you to this too. I'm like, no, check off. Yeah. They had a rush. It like yeah. okay. First of all, obviously, do credit having a hero on the on the deck on the all on right. the bridge. Yeah, great. Famously, first interracial baby. kiss on television yeah. and all that. Yeah, exactly. But that's but that's baby shit in the grand context. Right? Yeah, like, absolutely. No one remembers, but there was a time where someone for someone to be the Russian, they were the enemy. Yes, they right? were red. Yeah, better dead. Than red. red, right? That's right. Dude. And you have a Russian on the bridge of this ship, especially right? against right, like self-insert patriotic American Captain Kirk. Yeah, exactly. Um, the good old boy that that literally reads the U.S. Constitution yeah. to a to a foreign <laughs> culture. Um, but yeah, like it's um, 
it, it, there's a lot of those like there's an episode i don't know if you've gotten to it yet the the i call it like the the gender politics episode where Riker falls in love with a neutral gender person oh yeah you told me about I, it I, I told you about that too yeah. it's just these things of like that that one less so but just these little like to do this in the 60s 70s 90s eight like late 80s like what were these people smoking absolutely How did they get this on tv I was even thinking about that, too, in um, the one episode in season two where um, um, Diana Troy gets pregnant. Yeah. And it's like Mm -hmm. an immaculate conception. And it's like, I I just, you know, that that Twitter, it's in some sphere today would be like somebody would be mad about some Christian allegory. You know what I mean? And it's like. Mm -hmm. They just complete like I just love too that it's not like it's not even a question, right? Like even in modern sci-fi, right? We mentioned Raised by Wolves on episode one. Raised by Wolves has the whole Crusades angle to it, where it's like we've got to yeah. provide this like religious, you know, context to it, where it's like, oh, sci-fi juxtaposition, and it's like they don't even mention it. They're just like, yeah. oh, you're pregnant by an alien, fucking rad. Can't wait yeah. to have this. And Riker's even there, dude. I love that part where like Riker's in in the delivery room after she delivers it. And he's like, and I know they have history, but still yeah. like he's like, it's so beautiful. Almost as beautiful as his mother. Peck. Yeah. And it's just like yeah. you cheeky motherfucker. Yeah, you dog, <laughs> you, you sly dog. dog. But it's 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 just that thing of like it it, it was un and I don't want to say this, it's probably probably not true, but it feels like unbridled creativity. Right. I want to talk about this thing. So let's talk about it. Yeah. And well, I, I, it, unbridled creativity in the span of if it makes sense in the context that enlightened right. individuals would well, I'm, approach I'm it this sure way. There was stuff. I'm sure Gene Roddenberry was really out there. Uh, sure, I'm sure right. there was a lot of stuff where studio heads were like, you need to tone it down. Stop yeah. smoking that devil's lettuce. You know yeah. what I mean? But um it's it's the thing too of like it's such the shame and i think this is really my last thought like it it, it hurts to be a fan of a lot of this stuff in the modern era right yeah like i i hate the new star wars movies but what they've done to star trek at least star wars is just like a mediocre script right right in star trek they've they've completely destroyed it it is it's there is no star trek anymore you've got Lower decks, as you so aptly called it, pickle Star Trek, where there's like there's like lewd jokes and cursing all the time. And it's just it's literally just like Rick and Morty. Yeah. Well, version yeah. Of Star it, Trek, it is right? literally Rick and Morty Star Trek. Like, there's an episode where. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm saying this. There's an episode where um, one of the characters that so there's a there are two main focal characters a guy and a girl and the guy is dating this girl that's like perfect and he's kind of a schlub and his friend the other girl is like there's no way she's got to be some kind of like alien imposter right one of the one of the jokes of the episode is that she pantses him in front of other people yeah yeah you're telling me about that like what 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 like what am i watching you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean and with with picard i'll have to show you i i promised i would show you episode one and two of picard but like matrix kung fu gunfights oh, gun like Ooh. yeah gun kata like explosions uh picard gets interviewed by fox news there's a border crisis everyone's drunken on drugs oh my god the dude. federation did make android slaves after all it's just like 
like you you could have done this with anything you know what i mean you're not subtle i understand that this is fox news i understand that this is the the migrant crisis i understand that this is yeah the ennui of our times but you're not creative you know what i mean yeah yeah it's it it sort of goes to fly in the face of why we love family yeah exactly it's it's this thing of it, it, it is an asp. I, I know we use this word a lot, but I agree with you. It is it is such an aspirational show that is kept grounded by really these really kind of simple truisms, right? Yeah. That no matter how far we come, like we are in essence our biology. So these things like family, the episode family of sometimes it just takes help from your family or these little truisms, right. That, that resonate with us. And there are very believable things that would be taken into the future. So yeah, I love this show. This is, I don't think this is the greatest show of all time. Clearly. Right. There's a lot of shit in, even in the next generation, but I think this is my favorite show of all time. Well, I can confidently far. say that I'm looking forward to sifting through all of the shit and all of the rest of the good shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well done, sir. Um, it was it was a really spectacular watch for me, um, obviously, as indicated here. Um, and uh, and I'm really excited to keep watching it. So but that is not the end of King of the Shill. Um, no. We have more King of the Shill uh, forthcoming. So uh, make sure you stay tuned. Catch us next time. We will be back with another shill. And we'll see you then. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope that. This has convinced you to either check out Star Trek or kind of reinvigorated your interest in it if you've ever watched it. And thank you, Scott. Oh, thank you. King of the Shield.